I want to ask you four questions. Four questions. Here we go. Are you tired? Are you overwhelmed and anxious? Are you weak? Are you feeling the weight of affliction? Affliction being pain or suffering to any degree. Uh, Maybe you're here this morning and thinking now, oh no, I I didn't come to church to be asked these questions. I I want to be joyful. I want to think happy thoughts. I don't want to deal with this. What a downer. And so maybe your answer is no to all of those this morning. Or maybe you're here and you're just kind of apathetic toward those questions. Kind of indifferent toward them. Meh. I don't know. Or maybe you're here this morning and you answer yes to all or some of those questions. The reality is we have all experienced real tiredness, real anxiety, real weakness, real weighty affliction in this life to one degree or another. Affliction and hardship make up a piece of our life, not just individually but collectively as the body of Christ. And so I ask you, in response to those original four questions, four corresponding questions, where do you find rest then? Where do you find peace? Where do you find strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, as we just sang? Where are you taking that weight of affliction? Please open your Bible to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 61 today. If you you just take your Bible like this and you kind of open up to the middle, you'll generally land in the book of Psalms. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one under a chair near you. You can find Psalm 61 on page 448. Psalm 61, please follow along as I read. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. 
so will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. This is God's word to the church. Thanks be to God. Let's say that together. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne of grace this morning seeking that you would speak to us from your word and that we would behold the face of Jesus within it this morning. We humbly ask that you would turn the lights on in our dim hearts and minds. Give us ears to hear the goodness of your word today. Make our hearts porous and soft to receive it. And Lord, we ask that you would give us assurance and confidence in the resurrected, glorified, and exalted Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Psalm 61 is a psalm of David, according to the superscription, which is that small sentence right above the psalm. In the ESV, that superscription reads, to the choir master with stringed instruments of David. And before we work through the psalm, let me offer some context and some background. As we read in verse 2, David is crying out from the end of the earth. This tells us that David is physically, geographically far away from his home, his kingdom, and his people. But he is also emotionally and spiritually far away from God's sanctuary, from his presence, from Mount Zion, the place where both the Ark of the Covenant was and where David's royal throne rested. And yet we also read in, in these words that, that David calls himself the king. Though he's far away from his kingdom, he's calling himself here the king. And we're going to see that there's a lot more behind this title a little later, but there, there are two contextual points that we need to know where he is and what his title is here at the very beginning and throughout the psalm. These two tell us that this psalm was most likely penned while David was hiding in the wilderness of Mahanaim as he was fleeing his son, Absalom, who was attempting to dethrone him. And in light of this context, we see that this psalm or song or prayer is a, a psalm of lament and confidence. Did you notice that? It's a song of lament and confidence, of affliction, yes, but also assurance. And we may not be kings and queens, brothers and sisters, but if you are a Christian here this morning, then you know that this psalm really captures the balance, the tension of this life. We know what it's like to live with real physical, emotional, and spiritual tension. That tension of being caught between lament and confidence, affliction and assurance. So with that, said, with that context in place, let's walk through this small and yet mighty psalm this morning. To guide our time, if you're taking notes, here's the big idea. 
Here it is. In the midst of affliction, God is our assurance. In the midst of affliction, God is our assurance. And how is he our assurance in the midst of affliction? Well, David tells us that he is the rock, the refuge, that he has appointed a ruler above all, and that we are called to respond accordingly. And that's, that's our four kind of point outline this morning. First, we're going to look at the rock in verses 1 through 2. We're going to look at the refuge in verses 3 through 5. The ruler in verses 6 through 7. And then our response to all of it in verse 8. So point one, the rock. Let's read verses 1 through 2 together once again. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you and my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Our psalm begins with David crying out to God, pleading with him to listen to his prayer, pleading with him to hear him. And he says that he is calling from the end of the earth. And this language again is significant for David is telling us that he is far away from home and far away from rest. And he feels like he is at the end of the earth. And David says that while he's here, his heart is faint. That word faint is the same word used in Psalm 77. In Psalm 143, David here is deeply exhausted, deeply distressed. He is worn down, depressed, and tired. He is longing and thirsting for God. And this is a common state and condition in this life, isn't it? Have you ever been sick and tired of being sick and tired? How often are our hearts worn down and overwhelmed, afflicted by grief in this life? How often are we distressed because of the circumstances of this life? Or our battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is a common condition here that David is writing about. And so we should, we should note, brothers and sisters, that if you struggle with chronic depression or even seasonal depression, that God created you and he understands you. Please let David's words be of comfort. What you are experiencing are real emotions because of real circumstances. Just as David was experiencing real emotional darkness and depression here in this psalm. And so this is what we learn here. The call to trust and follow God is not a call to emotional suppression or a call to just, oh, you just need to turn that frown upside down. Or to live in a state of emotional ignorance, like a, like a stoic, pushing away all emotion. Nor to live in a state of manufactured joy. 
No, God created us in his image with a full range of real emotions, including real sorrow. And so if you are struggling with this, I would encourage you to reach out to a friend. Reach out to a pastor here at EBC. The words of sorrow need words of assuring hope, don't they? So reach out to the pastors here. Reach out to a friend and reach out to your doctor. Have a real conversation. Pain is meant to be shared and not carried alone. I'm going to say that again. Pain is meant to be shared and not carried alone. So I ask, we ask, that you would share it. Looking back at our text, we read that David calls to God from the end of the earth, from the depths of affliction, for God to listen to his prayer. See, David knows that though God seems so far away, he knows that he can call, that he can pray. And this is good news for us. This is great news for us, brothers and sisters. When God feels so far away, he is still near. We may feel like he is far, but he is actually close. He is there. He is near. For the Lord is near, as the word says, to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Amen? That's a promise in God's word, that he is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. That is good news for us. So no matter what problems we are facing, no matter the grief we feel by the weight of this life, no matter how exhausted we are, no matter how much anxiety we feel over the state of the world, or this life, no matter how tired we are physically and emotionally, if you are in Christ, you need to know this. God is with you, in you, and for you. In the words of one pastor and theologian, when it feels as if you can't get to God, God can get to you. And he already has in Jesus. All you need to do is call out. God, lead me. We see in our psalm this morning that David knows this as he calls out, verse 2, look there. Lead me. To what? To the rock that is higher than I. I grew up in, a, in the city of Bakersfield, California, in a valley, a valley city, in the San Joaquin Valley, between two giant rocks. Yosemite National Park's El Capitan. I don't know if you've been there. It's amazing. And Morro Bay's Morro Rock. Oh, two wonderful rocks. I would encourage you to go see if you can. These rocks are huge. You can't help but feel extremely small and extremely finite next to these rocks. But they are nothing compared to the true and better rock that is higher than you and I, that rock that is immovable, immutable, and far beyond all earthly things. And who is that rock? It's Jesus. Jesus, the supreme son of God. And so may we learn from David here that when we are in the depths of affliction, let us pray, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, that is so much greater and far beyond me in my circumstances in this moment. Jesus is far deeper and broader and greater than any earthly trial, circumstance, or affliction. Amen? It's good news. He is our rock and he is our refuge. He is our rock and he is our 
refuge. And that's point two, the refuge. Look with me at verses three through five. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Well, I hope you have noticed the trajectory of the psalm, even in these these mid-verses here, that David is moving through affliction to assurance. His present hope in God is building. And here in these verses, David moves from the illustration of God as the rock to God as the refuge, the tower, the tent, the shelter. David doesn't just want God to be his rock. He wants him to be his refuge. He wants him to be the, the God who is before and behind and beside him at all times. So David recognizes, and there's a lesson for us here, David recognizes that in God's place, under God's provision, is to be in God's presence. Is to be under his shelter, under his wings. That's the very heart of this prayer. David longs to be with God, under his wings, in his presence. And the theme of God's presence can be traced throughout the whole Bible. From beginning to end, in Genesis, we see God's people are in God's place, in God's presence, in Eden. But they sin. And what happens? They're exiled from God's presence. But then in Exodus, something incredible happens. Something amazing happens. God comes down to his people once again and dwells in a tent with them. And then later he dwells in a temple with them. But physical structures come and go, and we know this. Just look at the ruins of history. And so something incredible happens in the New Testament. Even more incredible happens in the New Testament. In the gospel, Jesus comes. In the gospel, according to John, chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt, literally tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the presence of God with his people now and forevermore. Jesus is our refuge, our shelter, and high tower. That is incredible. That no matter what comes in the circumstances of this life, he is outside of those circumstances and far greater as our shelter and our refuge. So in in our psalm, it is clear that David is looking back. We We should note here, looking back in the history of God's people here in writing this, to his presence in the writings of Moses and others in the past as he looks to God to be his refuge and hope in the present. He looks backwards so we can look forward. See, God is David's refuge and shelter. David goes on to say in verse five, for you, O God, have heard my vows, and you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Now, a lot of ink has been spilt on what these vows are. These vows could be the ones that David made when he became king to rule and reign under the rule and reign of the one true triune sovereign God. Or these could be his vows of covenant faith to Yahweh who is, again, the one true covenant God, 
I believe that both are in play here. It's not either or, it's both. Because David is connecting these vows to the heritage of God's people. That same heritage that included Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same men that even though were very broken and extremely imperfect, knew God, loved God, sought God, feared God, and found refuge in God by his grace through faith as they awaited and looked toward Christ the Messiah with hope. And every person who repents of their sin and believes in Jesus are given that same heritage. Again, we may not all be kings and queens, but we are given that heritage in Christ. How marvelous and how wonderful is that? So bringing this down to the pavement of our life, I ask you, where are you seeking refuge today? What is your heritage? Who is in your heritage? Not just literally, biologically, but spiritually. All earthly shelters and bloodlines will come and go, but Christ will endure forever. So may we go before God in prayer, just as David did, with confidence and full dependency, finding strength and hope and safety in him today. Don't wait. Do this today. Well, thus far we have seen in this psalm that David is praying to the rock, the refuge. And now we turn to the third point, the ruler. Point three. Look with me at verses six through seven. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. It is fascinating how David makes a voice, kind of a shift in voice here, shifting from a plea to God to be his rock and refuge in the first person to a kingly declaration in the third person. Did you notice that? He shifts from, let me dwell with you, let me take refuge under you, you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name, to verse 6, prolong the life of the king. cause him to endure and to persevere for all generations. Again, it's helpful to remember the context here. David is king at this point, and he is fleeing from his son Absalom, who is attempting to dethrone him. And so David is speaking of himself here, yes, as king. But there's so much more here. There's so much more. He is is asking the Lord to prolong the Davidic dynasty, He is asking the Lord to sustain him and for his faithfulness to watch over him. David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, is speaking of himself as ruler. Yes, but he's also speaking of an even better ruler. We need to catch this here in the psalm. He is speaking of the ruler from Samuel 7. You don't have to turn there. But let me read these words, Samuel 7. Now when the king, speaking of David himself here, lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. 
And then, in verses 12 through 13, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, meaning when, when David passes away, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. He cannot be just speaking about Solomon here. And doesn't that language sound familiar here in the Psalms? See, David knows that his kingly line pronounced by the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel was to climax and come to complete fulfillment, not in an earthly king and crown, but a king and crown and a ruler that would be established forever. Here David is speaking of the true and better ruler, and his name is Jesus. Jesus, the one who came down to this earth, who set aside his kingly splendor, and was born of a virgin birth. He is the one who lived a perfect life of obedience as the better priest king. He is the one who went willingly to the cross, the place where God's justice and mercy meet, the place where he bore the sins of all who believe, of all who repent and believe in him. And then three days later, he was resurrected And he, Jesus, is the one who has ascended to the Father's right hand now, according to Psalm 110, and sits in glory enthroned forever as the better David, as the better king. This is the good news of Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. And Jesus now summons all people from everywhere to come and repent of their sin and turn to him by faith. Jesus has issued a summons, an invitation to all nations. We live in the time of that summons going out to the nations. Jesus now summons all people from everywhere to come and repent of sin and turn to him in faith. And if you have not responded to that summons today, friend, I'll be standing in the back after the service. I would love to talk with you more about this good news of the gospel, of this summons, this invitation to Jesus that we see right here in the words of Psalm 61. If you have already responded to this summons, then Christian, you have been made a child of the king and citizen of his kingdom, and you have been given a new and better heritage forevermore. He has lavished his grace and his love and his care and his mercy upon you. What more do you need? What more do you need? He has given you his very presence through the Spirit. And there is only one ongoing response to all of this. One response. And we see David unpack that response in the final verse. Verse 8. Look there with me so will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Just as we noted earlier, this psalm has an upward trajectory. And we've been able to trace that trajectory as we've watched David move from from deep affliction to deep assurance. 
And here at the end of the psalm, the, the climax, the result, the end goal of the psalm is this. It's praise. David's theology and understanding of God leads him to the doxology of God. All of our theology ought to lead to doxology, to praise. David is teaching us what this looks like, modeling this right here in the words of this psalm. This is where David lands. He lands in worship. He sings praise to God who is the rock, the refuge, and the ruler. He sings praises with exaltation and complete assurance. Assurance that is a part of his day-to-day vows, his day-to-day routines. But there's also an eternal aspect to this. This is also the eternal praise and assurance. This is kind of alluded to in that word ever there in verse 8. I will ever sing praises to your name. There's, there's an eternal praise happening here. It's not just present. It's future. It's eternal. I'm not sure how you understand or view worship this morning. So I want us to catch this. David is reframing. He is kind of reorchestrating true worship for us here. See, worship and praise is not something that we just do on Sundays. It's not. Yes, we are here together for worship today. But worship is also the verb of the Christian life. It's something that we do day by day unto glory. It's something that we do in anticipation of that future day when we are with Christ and standing before him forevermore. What we do today is anticipating that day. Worship is not something we simply do on Sundays. It's not something that we simply do in a Bible study, women's or, or men's ministry, or in a care group, though we do worship in those contexts. Yes. Praise and worship isn't an event. That's what David's kind of modeling here. Praise and worship is not an event. It's a way of living. It's a way of living. Worship is the posture of the Christian life, no matter the circumstances. That's hard. That's a hard truth. But the Lord expects us to have a worshipful posture in the midst of all circumstances. And He promises to be our rock and our refuge and our ruler from beginning to end. That's a promise. That's a promise that we can take to the threshold of heaven. Worship is something that we do 24-7, day after day, until we limp into glory, into that eternal worship with God forevermore. So may we praise and worship God in the midst of all of life. May our Routines reflect that. You have to remember that David here is, is, he feels like he's at the end of the earth. So if you were here this morning and you feel like you were at the end of the earth, let this psalm be a vessel of hope to you. That it is the Lord's goal and the Lord's end to move you 
from deep affliction to deep assurance. And he's already done that through the work of Jesus. He's already applying that to you and to I, to me, through the Spirit and through his word and through the gospel. So may we praise and worship God in the midst of all of life, in the good times, in the bad times. Returning to those questions I asked at the beginning of our time together. Are you tired? Are you overwhelmed and anxious? Are you weak? Are you feeling the weight of affliction? If you have answered yes to any of these, then this is the good news from Psalm 61 that God is your assurance that God is your confidence, that he is near you, and that he is with you. And he, through Jesus, has said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you peace. I will give you strength. And so it is my hope, it is my prayer this morning that you would, in the midst of all affliction, all circumstances of this life, that you would run to Jesus. You would run to him because he is your certainty in the midst of uncertainty. He is your security in the midst of insecurity. He is your rest in the midst of distress. And he is your assurance in the midst of affliction. This psalm This psalm helps us see this truth more clearly this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the assurance and the hope that we have in him in spite of any and all circumstances of this life. And Lord, we ask that you would increase our faith individually and collectively. That you would increase our hope in you. And Lord, that you would prove faithful. And that we would with joy and with song adore you. Today, tomorrow, and every tomorrow after that. And we will give you all the praise and glory for what you continue to do in our lives. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.